Hey everyone, welcome to Taking the Pulse, a healthcare podcast. I'm Heather Hoops Matthews here with Nexon Pruitt healthcare attorney Dara Coleman. Dara, it's good to see you again. Great to see you. We are going to be talking with a physician later uh, today regarding COVID-19, and I know that you, you're a healthcare attorney, that you talk with a lot of healthcare providers. How are they doing in general? I mean, we're, what, eight months now into the pandemic? Yes. Um, It's been interesting. This past week, I had an opportunity to speak to a pediatrician, um, which is a group of physicians I don't often confer with, and I was very interested to learn about their level of concern because they are really concerned about the children who are going back to school and the long-lasting impact that the isolation has had on their patients and the impact that the change in their practice has had on them as clinicians. Um, The way that they've had to change their physical space within the office, I think, has had a very detrimental impact on um, the pediatricians as, as a whole. And that's something I think that Sometimes we don't think about how um, the pandemic and the rearrangement of the physical space has impacted the physicians as a whole. So I think it's taking a toll on them, but they really are troopers as a whole and are doing the very best that they can. So we really need to um, remain very supportive of all of our physicians on the front lines. Well, you know, I mean, they're, we, you hear them called heroes, and I really think that they are because they walk into fire, you know, Absolutely. to help those of those who have had COVID or who might have COVID. And today we're going to be speaking with one of them on the front lines of the pandemic. Dr. Ann Cook is an internal medicine physician with Ann Med Health up in Anderson. She will be with us in just a moment. So stay with us for Taking the Pulse. Welcome back, everybody. We are very fortunate today to have Dr. Ann Cook with us. She is a physician who specializes in internal medicine at Admin Health. Dr. Cook has nearly 40 years of diverse experience and most recently has been treating patients on the front lines of COVID-19. Dr. Cook, thank you for joining us today. Uh, We know your plate's full and we appreciate you being with us. You are one of our first physician guests from the upstate Uh, And so I'm curious to know, you know, how is it up there in the upstate with COVID-19 right now? Well, here in Anderson right now, our numbers are down a bit. We we really sort of peaked in uh, late July to August. And that was actually when I worked with the Family Medicine Residency Program. And we had to surge our residency team to help the hospitalists um, in order to, to manage the volume that was in the hospital. We have been steadily coming down over the last couple of weeks with our hospitalized patients. I don't really expect that to last since we are beginning to see an uptick in the in the numbers of cases. And you know, typically the hospitalizations um, lag about two weeks behind, two to three weeks behind when you see the actual number of cases in, increasing. But right now we're at a little bit of a lull, and we're thankful for that and hoping that 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 persists. Dr. Cook, we're almost eight months into the pandemic. Um, How are you and your practice partners holding up this far into um, these very difficult times? Well, I think it, you know, there's something to be looked at differently by specialty, I think. Um, Honestly, I think early on, there's nothing like a crisis to bring people together. And I think that our team of 
hospitalists and, and critical care doctors, along with the hospital administration, just performed Herculean efforts to get things moving like they needed to go. Um, you know, redesigning the hospital setup so that you had enough ICU beds and all that sort of thing. Uh, what I sense now is that there begins to be a little weariness with that. And that, that's sort of my concern going forward is that how long can you sort of stay in that hyper-acute mode of, of what comes next the next day? And um, so I think there is some, some weariness developing. And then I think that you look, for instance, as you were talking about the pediatricians, each specialty sort of has their own things that are, are different for them. Where I, where I work mostly in the ambulatory setting, we're still kind of struggling with which patients are most appropriately managed via telemedicine or which patients have to use what platform for telemedicine because of who their insurance provider is and lots of, lots of little aggravations along those lines. And then just sort of the uncertainty of it all, I think is difficult. But I do think that in general, we are, um, you know, I think that we're a bunch of people who try to do our best to take care of patients the best we can and, and sort of lay ourselves aside to try to do that. I'm sure that you do. And, and I appreciate um, very much the sacrifices that you've had to make. As a practical matter, Dr. Cook, how has the pandemic affected how you and your partners actually treat your patients once they're admitted to the hospital? Have you had to change your practice? Somewhat in that I think we, and this may be a good thing going forward, I think we're doing the very best we can to manage people outpatient when we can. Mm -hmm. that, but there are all sorts of things that are just sort of nuanced things. For instance, a patient may call and their symptoms could kind of be COVID, but they could be a lot of other things. You sort of don't want to put them in the hospital because, you know, then that may extend their exposure. You don't really want to put them on the COVID floor because you don't really think they have it. So you end up getting an outpatient test that may take anywhere from 24 hours to a week. And so you, you, you sort of don't sleep well at night trying to, to figure out if you've done the best thing for your patient. Once they're in the hospital, I, not a whole lot has changed because we have the floors very well separated as far as non-COVID patients versus COVID patients. I do think we're doing our very best to get them out as quickly as possible. And like I say, those may be good thing, good learning points going forward to, to maybe become a little more efficient with our use of hospitalizations for patients. I do worry that patients are voting with their feet a little bit and not necessarily uh, calling when they would have called otherwise because they want to avoid the hospital. And I think we do have some evidence in the statistics that there's some excess deaths related to that phenomenon as well as the COVID deaths as well. You've identified, you know, a lot of challenges, um, just the resilience and perseverance of your peers, um, you know, the reactions and responses of patients and how best to serve them and um, but there's a whole, there's another, I guess, struggle. I don't want to, you know, just focus on the negative, but you're on the board of the South Carolina Medical Examiners, and that is the agency, you know, that's responsible for regulating um, and protecting the public during these challenging times. And I just 
have to imagine the pandemic has made like the regulations and the execution of those probably harder as well. Is that right? A little bit. I, I think we we tried to be proactive from that standpoint. And I know the governor's office had, had asked us for some help with that, with how we um, how we regulate things and what things we choose to enforce during this time. And there have been several orders that have been issued from the board about um, loosening up certain enforcement requirements during, of course, only during the actual emergency phase. You know, things like trying to uh, make it a little easier for, for um, PAs and nurse practitioners to move from the ambulatory setting into the hospital if needed, those sorts of things to to expedite some of that. And I think what we what we did was fairly forward thinking on that. As it turned out, I don't think we really have had a lot of need for that. Now, as we move into the winter, that may happen and we may need to have more providers that are a little more um, can be a, a little facile in their movement around to um, work in different areas. The, you know, one of the issues that we saw with our hospital was we, during the time that we went to peak, the hospitalist team that we use is a, covers a lot of different hospitals and they can usually pull hospitalists from other hospitals to cover when someplace becomes a hotspot. But what happened during that particular time was sort of all the hospitals they were covering were hot at the same time. And so you can foresee a time, I think probably in the next several months where that may happen again and we would need to loosen up regulations with regard to licensed physicians from other states coming in very quickly. But that's our goal is to make sure that all of that happens very quickly when it needs to. And I think if anything, we've been a little proactive on that account to, to make sure those things happen. That's good to hear. Right. And have you found that it's easy to work with other state agencies during the pandemic, like DHEC and some of the other public health entities? Yeah, I do. Well, that's critical. That is absolutely critical. What do you think are some of the successes um, and some of the things that you would want to tell the public that the medical board has been successful in doing. You've, you've already touched upon a little bit um, in making it easier for out-of-state practitioners to come in um, to the state and making it easier for APRNs and PAs to practice. Are there some other successes that you'd like to share as advancements? Yeah, I think probably the biggest one, and but I do want to be clear that these these waivers are basically for the time of, of the emergency authorization because we've been very careful, I think, about the prescribing of controlled substances via telemedicine. Uh, now, people get confused about that. If, if I have an established relationship with you as a patient, then there's really no prohibition for prescribing. It, it, it's no more than it would be you can pick up a telephone and talk to somebody and refill a prescription. Um, but what this had to do with was instituting things like medication-assisted treatment for opioid use disorder and things like that that we have in the past had a, had a fairly tight leash on. We still, we still want to be sure that we're being very careful about the credentials of people who are doing that sort of practice. But I think we've 
I think we've managed to fill the gaps there to allow for some help because I know there were there were significant issues with patients not being able to, this sounds awful, but not being able to get their street drugs because the, the so you were having people going into withdrawal. And in some ways it may have been a situation where you had actually had an opportunity to get somebody into treatment because of um, the pandemic and because of the lack of availability of illicit drugs, maybe sort of pushing them into the system to get them some help. So that, that may be considered a positive, I think. You mentioned telehealth. How has that um, changed? Now, you've practiced 40 years, so it's been around, but it's not been where an average person like myself, I think, really thought about and actually used it for the first time. How has that um, changed for you, the use of it? You know, we went from not doing any of that to sort of full tilt boogie over the course of two weeks. And, you know, the, the feds changed their rulings about that and allowed us to use things like FaceTime and, and Google Duo and that sort of thing that were not quite as, that weren't really classified as HIPAA compliant in order to get us, get us through this crisis. I think I've learned a lot personally. I think that it's very helpful. And I think you can tell a lot about a patient, especially a patient that you already know. You can tell a lot more about them by adding video than you could have from a telephone call before. I think it really is, has been helpful for some of my elderly patients because they don't want to come out. I don't want them to come out. And things that we can manage over telemedicine, I, I think are helpful. The problem is for a lot of those patients, they really need to have a younger family member that knows how to manage all that technology. And the other thing is that they are struggling with all this lack of stimulation and, and lack of ability to get out and among people. And I think for a lot of those patients coming to their doctor visit was kind of a, a social event that they're not, that they're not quite getting like they were before. I think we've learned some of the things that don't do well with telemedicine. And, you know, when you, when you really need to examine a patient, you really need to examine a patient. I have a couple of situations that I am pretty sure I didn't manage it as well as I should have because I couldn't really do the exam. Um, so I think there, there's some things we've learned. I do have a little fear about that and that I'm, as a primary care physician, I'm a real believer that the doctor-physician relationship is, is actually part of the healing process, but also that getting to know your patient over time helps you understand what their goals and objectives are for their care. And especially when you're dealing with elderly patients, I think that's important. So while I, I like the convenience of it, it's great to be able to do a telemedicine visit with somebody with a simple UTI or something like that. Um, I, I don't want it to get in the way of developing that relationship over the course of time. You know, you don't, I don't really want it so that you have just sort of a commercialization of, I feel like I need to talk to a doctor. I'll click on this and talk to this doctor this time and that doctor that time and not really have that longstanding relationship. That being said, though, I think it really adds another dimension, and it certainly is so much more convenient for patients and really more convenient for us as well at times. Well, Dr. Cook, I think there's a, 
an aspect of the healing process that is beneficial to the provider as well. And so one of the concerns prior to the COVID pandemic um, for physicians was physician burnout. Um, and so one of the things that you've touched upon was the weariness that you see with physicians um, brought about by the changes of the pandemic. What do you predict um, for the providers going forward from a mental health perspective? Um, what are your concerns long-term and what are some solutions that the, the medical community can provide? That's a really good question because as you mentioned, we were already in near crisis mode with that before this happened. And kind of like I mentioned before, it was almost as though, and this sounds crazy to say, but it was almost as though there was a little shot in the arm of, you know, we're, we're in a crisis, we're pulling together, we're working hard as a team. And I think there were actually even some positives about that. But like I say, the longer it goes on, I'm not, I, I don't think that that's sustainable over the long haul. Um, and you know, there've been lots, there's been a lot of discussion about the best management for physician burnout in general. And I heard, I heard one speaker who said, well, there, initially there was a lot of focus on helping physicians and providers become more resilient. There actually was a recent study out that showed that if you do resiliency scale monitors and all that sort of thing, physicians and healthcare providers are actually much more resilient as a group than the general public. So not that we don't all need to learn some skills, you know, how to be mindful, how to um, relax, how to take care of ourselves in that way. But I heard a speaker one time say, we can't eat enough yogurt or do enough meditation to solve the burnout problem because it really is an institutional problem. And I think we do need more and more uh, institutional looks at how, how physicians and providers are employed and, and some of the things that are done on the administrative side to, to try to help with those things. I think that involves having greater flexibility um, greater flexibility in scheduling, some of the things that have been done to try to decrease the paperwork burdens for physicians. I think we, we all recognize that the implementation of the electronic health record has been a real stressor for physicians. And there, there actually have been some changes made in Medicare's requirements and another change starting in January 1 that should help, I think, with some of that burden. But you hear doctors talking about going home at night and doing two or three more hours, especially primary care physicians, two or three more hours getting their notes done in the evening. So I think there are things like that that we need help, both from the payer side and the administrative side from healthcare operations to, to help us with that. Well, I, I, I hate to hear about it was tough before the pandemic because I can only imagine what it's like now, but I, I hope that maybe the pandemic will shine a spotlight on that and that, you know, those of us who might think we can't do anything can at least say, hey, do something for our doctors because they are the ones that keep us, help, keep us healthy. Um, and, and so, you know, hopefully that's glass half full. I don't know. I just know your job is tough and we're grateful um, grateful for you joining us today, but really grateful for the day in and day out work that you and your team do at AnMed. And so thank you. 
hope that the trend continues downward for you, that there isn't an uptick, but if there is, um, we just encourage you to press on. Keep up the good work. We know you have it in you, and we're grateful for you, Dr. Cook. Thank you. Right, and we are so grateful for what you do with the medical board um, to keep all of us safe. So thank you so much, Dr. Cook, for your time today. We appreciate you. Thank you, and thank you for putting this information out in the public because I think it is important. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. There, there are so many aspects to this pandemic, and, you know, when thinking about it's been eight months and it's been tough right. and, you know, we're still just going to have to press on. I think it's, I think it's wearisome for everybody. Right. And I think it's interesting that some of the relief is coming from federal payors um, with relaxation of the reimbursement policies where it's um, patients over paperwork. Um, I think that is encouraging to some extent, but I think Dr. Cook made a really profound um observation and that is that some of the relief is going to have to come from our systems mm. where um, our policies really can influence our practice and give our healthcare providers some relief so that they can concentrate on their patients and also hopefully a little bit on themselves because they are doing a phenomenal job of right. pressing on and providing excellent care so we are just really really grateful that we have folks who are um, engaged in servant leadership and willing Absolutely. Thank goodness, Willie. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up another edition of Taking the Pulse, our healthcare podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation, and we hope to see you next time here on Taking the Pulse.